This is the Human Action Podcast, where we debunk the economic, political, and even cultural myths of the days. Here's your host, Dr. Bob Murphy. Patrick, welcome to the Human Action Podcast. Thanks for having me on. So today, folks, we're going to be talking about MMT, I think, again, uh, but we're hitting a different aspect of it, so it's not going to be redundant if you've caught the previous Human Action episodes on this topic. And the reason I thought Patrick would be a good person to have to help me wade through this morass of, let's well, let's not load the deck, this interesting stuff that requires further consideration is because you have actually a, a published journal article on MMT. Uh, yeah, that's, that's correct. Before we forget, why don't you give everybody the exact title and such if uh, you have that in front of you, or you don't yeah. have that in front of you. Yeah, it's a modern monetary theory and Austrian interpretation of recrudescent Keynesianism. All my life, I wanted to write a paper with the word recrudescent <laughs> in it. So I, I finally found my opportunity to use this 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 breakout. Um, you sort of imagine it's like bad acne or something, and using it to describe <laughs> an economic theory. So now my um, um, basically my my life's goal is is, is complete. I've I've, I've done it. Partly, I wanted you to say it because I wasn't sure on the pronunciation of that word. So oh, that's how I, I, say it. I hope that's how I I hope that's how to pronounce it. Uh, if not, I'll have to we'll have to do the whole thing over again. Yeah. Okay, but joking aside, so what do you mean by by the recrudescent Keynesianism? Like, why not just it's oh, it's Keynesianism. Yeah, I, I sort of wanted to imply that it's a, it's a good it's a good question, and a lot of it's in the, it's in the word. I, I wanted to. Sh- there's a lot of different types of Keynesianisms. There's a whole that's a whole story in itself. There's what John Maynard Keynes said. Then there's the new Keynesian, uh, excuse me, the neo-Keynesian economics of Paul Samuelson. Then there's the new Keynesian of Greg Mankiw, Paul Krugman, etc. And really, what I was trying to show is that argue is that modern monetary theory. Is 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 basically it, it, it's it's like a it's a, it's a bad sort of resurrection of the old school Keynesian economics of Alvin Hansen, Paul Samuelson, etc. These various neoclassical economists from the 1930s and 1940s really they they took what John Maynard Keynes was saying and they said okay we're going to now graft it onto the body of neoclassical economics and the big thing here was that they're going to argue fiscal policy is uh, is is more important and more effective than monetary policy the central bank should basically be subservient to the uh, the needs of the treasury this is what some of them are arguing etc and really modern monetary theory is nothing new under the sun there's some new ways of describing things some new uh, uh, accounting identities and, and all this stuff but it's it's basically old school keynesianism and that's what even a lot of new keynesians uh, argued at the early to mid 2010s when modern monetary theory was really becoming a a big phenomenon Okay, and just just we might as well finish this train of thought before we dive into uh, the Twitter storm that was the reason for me wanting to cover this topic right now. So it's, for example, just so the listeners know this, Paul Krugman, I don't remember if he was ever friendly towards MMT, but certainly at some point he decided he was going to go at them head on and actually was criticizing them and was getting somewhat exasperated, like, oh, these people, they're a moving target. You can't even argue with them because they just, you know, they'll just change what they're doing. He said it's like playing Calvin ball. Yeah. So are you? So in that sense, certainly Paul Krugman says the current 
MMT people are not the same as me. And yeah, I'm a Keynesian or new Keynesian, whatever term we want to use. So are you saying that, right, they're not like the current new Keynesians, they're like the old school Keynesians? Yes, I am saying they're the old school Keynesians. So for, but before getting into that, for anyone who hasn't read Calvin and Hobbes, stop the podcast immediately, read Calvin <laughs> and Hobbes, read you know all the comics uh, on, on Calvin Ball, you'll understand where, what Paul Krugman is getting at. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite Paul Krugman sort of insights, one of one of the few, but it is there arguing how they're always shifting the uh, the terms and, and you sort of the, the goalposts, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, so it's not – modern monetary theory is not new Keynesian economics, which in many ways is – there's not a whole lot of link with new Keynesian economics and basically what John Maynard Keynes was arguing, really new Keynesian economics – is all right, monetary policy is supreme, just use monetary policy. Uh, yeah, you use fiscal policy when there's a liquidity trap, uh, which is sort of what was in was in Keynes. The the neo-Keynesians of the old of the old days argue that not only is there a liquidity trap, there's also an investment trap, which means even if the central bank can lower real interest rates, uh, businesses are not that responsive to changes in real interest rates. So really the most effective way to stabilize uh, aggregate demand is through fiscal policy. So really modern monetary theory is much closer to that variant of Keynesian economics than the the, the mainstream variant that a lot of economists uh, adhere to today. Okay, and maybe one specific implication, or not implication, but demonstration or illustration of what you just said there is I know I've seen recently um, – with the Institute, there was actually just a master's thesis that I just reviewed literally two hours ago um, that centered on MMT and had quotes from some of the leading MMTers explaining how there was a role for uh, yeah, government officials to oversee investment and to you know, provide a job guarantee. And this, so it wasn't merely, in other words, Paul Krugman, depending on what day of the week it is, will sometimes make it sound like, oh, yeah, the is so long as we're not in the liquidity trap, then there's a general presumption of letting markets do their thing, you know, not in the case of climate change or something because there's these huge externalities, but in general, yeah, let the credit markets channel investments to their best uses and blah, blah, blah. We, we don't need government officials overseeing investment, and yet some of the MMT champions do openly talk like that. So is that one example of the kind of thing you mean? Yeah, the... the, the a lot of the modern monetary theory, the arguments today, appeal to a very left-wing audience, and that's almost by design. So the old – I guess you could say the, the, the older Keynesians of Paul Samuelson, they did say, OK, well, in the micro sphere, the market is the most efficient, but then it's really the macro level where you need to have all of this demand management. Modern monetary theory, I think you could – almost argue along those lines, but just so many of them also say, oh, yeah, we need X, Y, and Z. And this is largely because they think that, well, the government spending can just do all of these uh, activities and it can do it even better than the market, right? It's really the private savings are best utilized when they go into the government's coffers and, and, and so on. And so a lot of the modern monetary theory also incorporates uh, a lot of those arguments as well. Uh, and while it's related, they're really financing a lot of the arguments. I, I, I would argue they're, they're, they're conceptually separate, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe at this point, so I do want to return to the main point of your paper, but I think first 
why don't we hit the Twitter stuff? You know, also, because your paper is like more scholarly. But the, again, there's like the news hook, folks, for why I thought let's discuss this is recently uh, Stephanie Kelton had, and so Stephanie Kelton is arguably the leading proponent right now of modern monetary theory. Um, she had a tweet that I made a somewhat sarcastic response to, got a lot of traction, a lot of love, a lot of hate. But I think it's it really gets to the heart of what many of us, what our concerns are with MMT and how they use tautologies or accounting truisms, but then the way they package it and talk about them to the public, I think is extremely misleading. And then we, and when you break it down, you see that, oh, wait a minute, these tautologies, so yes, it's true in the sense that once you define the terms a certain way, their claims are correct, but what the public think they mean by those terms or those statements is not correct. And so I think this is this particular example I'll summarize here in a second is a, is a good example. Well, if we can do this, we'll flash up. If you're watching the video of this, folks, we'll flash up the, the tweet just so you can see exactly what I mean. But so this she ran this on June 12th, um, and she says, please remember that every scary, and she's got scary in quotes, headline, that the government deficit, and she's got government deficit in caps, is just reporting the corresponding financial surplus that appears on the non-government ledger. Their red ink makes our black ink possible. And then she has this diagram which shows um, it's, it's, it's like a, a chart. You know, it's clearly like a financial thing in terms of the, the shape of it. And it's just this long history. And it's got black lines going up and red lines going down. And it's virtually a mirror image. So that in the sections of the graph where the black line goes way up, the red line goes way down. And they're about the same height. You know, one going up and one down. And so it looks like it's largely, like I say, a mirror image of, of you know, of each other. And the, the legend says that, oh, what the red is, is the government balance. And what the black is, is called U.S. private sector balance. Okay. And so, again, I'll just reread what she said. Please remember that every scary headline that the government deficit is just reporting the corresponding financial surplus that appears on the non-government ledger their red ink makes our black ink possible. And then just to give a little more context, and then, Patrick, I'll let you take the first uh, crack at responding to this uh, assertion or presentation from her, to give a little more context so people understand what is she getting at. And I know this because I've read a lot of the MMT material, including Kelton's recent book. The point is to say that when the, you know, what does it mean if the government runs a $100 billion deficit next week and they issue $100 billion more in treasury debt, well, then the private sector ends up holding that. And so if you draw a circle around the private sector as a whole, then, and you ask, you know, how can they gain net financial assets? Well, you might say, well, what if a corporation issues a bond and then someone in the private sector holds it? That person now, his, his assets have gone up. He now has an extra corporate bond, but the corporation's debt just went up too. And so since the corporation and that person are both in the private sector, it just cancels out. So the MMT point is the only way that the private sector collectively can gain net financial assets is if the government goes deeper into debt. And that's what she means when she says their red ink, meaning the government's red ink, makes our, meaning the public's, black ink possible. And so she's trying to say, so stop freaking out, everybody, when you see these headlines about, oh, no, deficits top, blah, 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 or, or the federal debt now just broke $33 trillion or whatever, that, oh, great. So that means now the public has $33 trillion in net financial assets, claims on the government. 
And everybody knows that if you have treasuries, you know, that's like in your portfolio, in your mutual fund, in your retirement account, you own treasuries as part of it. That's a good thing. That's an asset to you. So when you complain about the government going deeper into debt, really you're complaining about the private sector going deeper into wealth. And so just think about it. And everyone's like, oh, okay. So I'll stop there, Patrick. What do you what do you have? So one thing is, do you think that's a good summary of what they're trying to say? And then how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think that's a very accurate summary of, of, of what they're what they're trying to say. They're they're arguing that okay, there's always a flip side. So if the government borrows, that means someone has to save. Okay, and you go, all right. Uh, the, the the real trick, as as you've said, is how they define net savings. Okay, so an Austrian would say, okay, net savings go up if the public decreases consumption and increases savings. You can go this whole time preference explanation, all of that, and that would be, okay, well, savings is greater than it was before, so on and so forth. Uh, They would argue that, well, no, it's not net savings because investment also goes up, so then it gets counterbalanced. So savings minus investment is zero, and you're right back to where you started. Uh, There's been no uh, accumulation of wealth though they're really referring to net wealth, or at least how they define it. And they basically, using this definition, yeah, putting a box around the private sector, the only way you can have an increase in net wealth is through some other entity. And what other entity is there except for the government? Right. So then this is where you get this net, uh, this net savings or this net private sector balances, et cetera, which – Okay, when you describe it like that and how you're defining certain terms, yeah, it makes sense. It's it's just misleading because in the in the the, the graph that Stephanie Kelton had, there's no net. There's no net. It just says US private sector balances, something like that. And your average person on Twitter is gonna scroll through and then they're gonna say, Oh wow, so I guess yeah, all of our savings are actually the, the government deficit is is enabling savings to go up and, and and they might get confused by what they mean by private sector balances. So then they're going, well, the government is actually enabling people to save and all sorts of things. And then you scroll to something else and the the, the whole thing's lost or what, whatever you like it, you, re, you retweet it. And that to me is the misleading thing, how they define net, right? And, and how they're arguing. And they're going to get around that by saying, well, the government it's it's different than another business because the government has the they can create the money and the taxing power and all of that and that's a whole separate argument but it, it it's it's a misleading way to define net in my opinion or at least certainly not to even have the word net on the actual chart and then you can get into the whole argument as to okay is it a good thing that savings are going into government deficits uh, does, can the government allocate resources as efficiently as the private sector? Can the government be run on a business basis? All these things that modern monetary theory um, uh, advocates, they, they dismiss or they say the government can do it just as well as the private sector, if not even better. And that's something that I would emphatically disagree with. So I, I think the, 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 you're right that the, the, the chart makes sense once you understand how they're defining things, but they're not clear about that. And it's a very misleading way to do so. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. Let me uh, try something, too, to, to put my finger on. So, and I, as folks may know, I debated Warren Mosler online. I've grappled with people. And both the, the friends and foes of me 
agree that what my take normally is is to say, yes, a lot of the MMT claims are technically correct, but and so the the you know the people who don't like me say, aha, see, Murphy admits, oh yeah, MMT is right. I just don't like it. And then, you know, so I realize why they think they're they're dunking on me by saying that. But on the other hand, like this Kelton quote, I think just epitomizes what I'm talking about. And so specifically when she says their red ink makes our black ink possible, it sounds like she's because what, what is black ink like? You know why they call it Black Friday after things. It's, that's when business, a lot of seasonal businesses are retail at least are in the black. So for a business to be in the black means it's profitable. It means its revenues are higher than its expenses. Right, so for her to say their red ink makes our black ink possible, it sounds like she's saying in the aggregate the only way we can all get ahead, the only way we can all gain in wealth is if the government goes deeper into debt. And there's a superficial plausibility to that when they go through their demonstration about the well, the net financial assets, and you know, only if the treasury goes deeper can blah 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 blah. And but and so one way to try to shatter that, or at least to show, hang on, guys, this seems to be proving too much was what my original response was. So I, you know, quote tweeted, I guess that's the term, her tweet. And I said, Robinson Crusoe found himself on a tropical island. He kept trying to save coconuts for a rainy day, but found it impossible without a nearby government running a budget deficit. All right. And I, I garnered 504 likes on that and counting. All right. So my point was just to say, hang on, let's make sure we don't, we understand what they're doing here. It might sound like they're saying you can't save and increase your net worth unless there's a government who taxes you and then spends more than it taxes from all of you collectively. And that's clearly, that can't be what they're saying because we know even somebody without a government involved at all can certainly live below his means. He can, you know, we can talk about what's Crusoe's real income in terms of picking 10 coconuts a day. He can just consume nine, save up, you know, 10 coconuts. And then on the 10th day, eat those and then go build a, a net or something, right? So we can do all the kind of basic economics and the concepts of income and saving and investment in, term, in real terms. You can do all that with one person. Or if there were a 1,000 Crusoes on the island, they could all do the same thing, right? So it's not that, oh, you can only save coconuts if there's somebody else who's going deeper into coconut debt to you, right? And so then the way the MMT people respond to that, and, and this happened in practice, was, them informing me that, oh, a modern economy doesn't run on, run on coconuts, you idiot, or telling me that money and coconuts aren't the same thing, which, you know, I wrote that down. as okay, it's still, I think my point has some validity. Um, and, and so the, the trick, though, in terms of the accounting is, is if you read carefully, they'll say, oh, no, we're not talking about real investment. And you said it yourself, Patrick, a minute ago. What they'll do is when they, with their definition of net saving because they have some of these identities where net saving equals government borrowing in a certain time, you know, in any given time period for accounting purposes. And net saving means saving minus investment. And you say, well, why would I be interested in that concept? That the point of saving, or not the point, but the way you see the benefits of saving, the way saving improves your future income is you invest in things. So from the MMT perspective, if the private sector lives below its means, if, you know, resources get channeled not into making TVs and sushi dinners and stuff, but into making more factories. And someone might say, ah, look at this wise, prudent people are living below their means. They're engaging in aggregate saving and investment, and that's why their living standards rise over time. According to the MMT logic, they're going to say, yeah, but that's not net saving because those savings are just getting channeled into private investment, so that doesn't count. That's not what we mean. And so when you say that, you say, okay, fine, but then uh, 
I'm wondering what's the relevance of your original observations. Kelton made it sound like we can't have more factories and stuff unless the government's running bigger budget deficits. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, 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 it's almost a, they have an argument and then there's a footnote. Right, it's got the little asterisk, and it's like, here's what we mean by this. And then there's a footnote in the footnote, and it's like, well, right. so here's what we right. So if you ever read an old book, there's sometimes you read a paragraph, and there's like a you actually have that back in the day. It's like a footnote in the footnote. Um, that's another project of mine. I actually want to write a book with a footnote in a footnote, but that's that's for another time. <laughs> I guess recrudescent nested footnotes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's really got to bring back, uh, make writing, you know, make make it great. And and uh, yeah, so they the 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 net how they define net it, it's it's basically true by definition that yeah it's all okay net savings goes up when it's invested in various government uh, debt right and and so you could get into that argument the thing that really irks me is that Kelton didn't even put net in her tweet right so the chart just said U.S. private sector balances so then you're just thinking. Okay, well, like your average person doesn't really know these terms, so you're thinking of private sector balance. You go, well, I've got money in the bank. Okay, well, that's a private sector balance, and uh, someone else has money, and I've got money in stocks. Okay, it's private sector balance. But how they're defining it is it's it's basically uh, savings greater than private sector investment, and that savings has to be in some form of you know government bond or or, or whatever. And it's just it's 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 a misleading way of 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 defining it because yeah as you're, as you're right uh, and I, I saw some of the tweets and then they go into yeah coconuts aren't money or there's no government in this economy so it's irrelevant and uh, you're just all you're trying to do is argue that well yeah robinson crusoe can increase his net savings at least here's how austrians would argue this or other other economists yeah you can increase your savings cut down on your consumption of coconuts you build a net you build a, a stick to get berries, whatever you build, some shelter uh, and so on, but that's that's not a that's not Caruso private sector balance, right, or something. And mm-hmm. and it's only as if there's some external ship that goes by the island and it says USS Treasury or something, and then they exchange some of Robinson's Caruso's uh, excess coconuts for government securities, and then Caruso has increased his net savings. And you're well, oh, okay, but that's it it, 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 it's, it's both the argument and the way that she wrote it. It's saying, as you put, oh, our, their red ink makes our black ink possible. And, well, yeah, you're defining black ink in a very peculiar way. And it's mm-hmm. done to appeal to, a, obviously, a group of people on Twitter who are very um, predisposed to more government intervention, Greater government debt, uh, greater government spending, et cetera. Um, to the extent people they argue that deficits are a problem, uh, they're going to argue that well, it's due to rich fat cat tax cuts, et cetera. Even though that's not quite MMT logic, but it's the same. It's just the, the leftist sort of general argument, and and yeah, it's done in a misleading way because it makes it seem as if. Oh well, yeah. The the you need these deficits in order to increase savings, and that's just that's not true. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you saw this part, but just to give people, we, you know, I started having some fun with it. That the because so many of the people in the comments were matter of factly telling me, Murphy, you got to get your head out of your butt, your gold standard thinking that the modern state, at least what the MMTers called monetary sovereigns like the United States government or the Japanese government 
um, or uh, ECB and such, that they are not constrained the way a regular household or even private corporation is, and so they have a different set of rules. And so then when I started talking like that, I said, hmm. And so I did a follow-up tweet, again, showing Kelton's tweet with her chart and logic, and I said, hey, um, fans of MMT, do you think her chart would look different if the U.S. government were on a classical gold standard? I said, specifically, if Americans used actual gold coins stamped by private mints, would her logic go through and would that chart look the same in terms of the pattern? And for the first 24 hours, every single MMTer was wrong. It was like at least eight of them chimed in with confidence telling me I was a schmuck. And the answer, folks, in case you don't know, is the chart would look the same because the argument has nothing to do with the U.S. government issuing fiat currency and its debts not being denominated in foreign currency, blah, blah, blah. I said in particular, you could just say the same argument about Google. If you define the world minus Google and then say Google's red ink makes the rest of our black ink possible by the rest of us meaning the world minus Google, it's the exact same logic. The accounting goes through and it doesn't depend on Google issuing fiat money. right? And so when you think of it that way, and what's really funny is then like by the day two, some like heavy you know hitter MMT people like academics came in and were saying, well, who would ever deny that? Like they're they're mad at me for setting up a straw man. And I said, um, like every single MMT person that commented before you showed up, that's who. <laughs> so, anyways, and when you go through the logic like that, like I think that maybe starts to get people to see that if we're walking around saying, hey guys, don't worry, if Google goes deeper into debt, that's what makes the rest of our blacking possible. I think people would be like, well. Okay, but I don't really care about that. And then if you ask, okay, Murphy, but by your logic, then why do you get so upset about the government deficit? I don't see you worrying about Google's deficit. And the answer is because Google can't stick a gun in my belly and take money from me to pay me, you know, it's not well. So they're actually, they're in terms of just the accounting, they're equivalent. But when you actually push it one step further and say, how would Google service its debts? it would produce goods and services that the public values more than the resources it uses. That's how it would service those debts. So actually it's, you know, as long as I thought it was a going enterprise and the, and the stock market valued, you know, evaluated and thought they could pay their debts. I would be okay with that. Whereas for the U S government to go deeper into debt means that, okay, yeah, it's in other words, for me to have, uh, an IOU issued by somebody who's going to pay that off by sticking a gun at me. And I take out my hundred dollar bill, give it to them. And then they say, here's the hundred dollars we owe you. And they hand it right back. There's a sense in which that type of payment and net asset isn't nearly as valuable to me as something issued by someone who says, yeah, I owe you a hundred dollars. Can I cut your lawn three times or something to, to, you know, extinguish my debt to you. And so again, it's when you strip away the, the context the accounting is the same, but the more you look into it the, in terms of the relevance and should we care, if anything, the more you learn about the situation, the more you say, yeah, I don't like having these net assets owed to us by this entity over here with a bunch of guns. Yeah, the the accounting can look uh, very similar as long as you define the net in a, in a certain way. And, and then the argument gets into, as I mentioned earlier and as you had just mentioned, well, if the public sector saves and that savings goes into government deficits or funding government deficits, is that a good thing? Right? The, the, how Kelton is arguing, saying their their red ink makes our black ink possible. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's there's the accounting, the sort of the accounting logic they're using, and then 
almost implicitly in our argument is that, well, you got to have the government to build roads, hospitals, national defense, all these all these things. And, yeah, the government uh, can engage in long term investment uh, much more wisely than short term speculative private investment, you know, something like that and so on and so forth. And that, yeah, it's actually a good thing that savings are being channeled into in, into deficits and so on. And uh, Austrians, as, as well as many uh, Neoclassical, certain neoclassical economists disagree with that. Especially argue, Austrians, I think they have the strongest arguments that no, it's it's not good. It diverts savings. The government uh, does not uh, can't really engage in profit and loss accounting, or it's not uh, you know, profit and loss accountability because uh, you know, it can tr- doesn't really earn revenue from the things that it produces. It gets revenue from taxpayer dollars, even if it does make some money running a subway or whatever. It still has the taxpayer dollars, still has the ability to force people out of a business, so on and so forth. And and actually, we want to reduce the amount of U.S. private sector balances understood in the way that they're really arguing because that means more savings can go into the actual private sector and more more private more savings can go into the private sector excuse me which can be used to produce goods that consumers voluntarily pay for and that they they, they can give sort of signals for entrepreneurs to estimate and and, and that's a whole nother argument that you know modern monetary theory it's 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 just sort of the usual leftist kind of argument that well uh you don't need entrepreneurs you don't need economic calculation x mm. y and z politicians and bureaucrats can do just as good if not better a job you know all that let me um so so thank you good i, I agree with everything you're just saying there too it just occurred to me while you were saying that that i can imagine a loop not a loophole but a point that the standard MMT person is going to be flipping out about the way we were just talking and say, wait a minute, you guys, the whole point is no, they don't need to tax in order. That's Kelton's point. It's not how are we going to pay for this? We don't need to raise tax. They can create the money out of thin air. And so, okay. So likewise, the fact that, Oh, there's this thing called the U S treasury that owes Americans collectively, whatever, $30 trillion, and to know that, oh, and it can just, how's it going to do that? Is it going to provide goods and services, you know, with, with stuff that, you know, that we value above the resources used to the tune of $30 trillion in terms of how much would we spend the way like a private company that was on the hook for $30 trillion, that's how we'd have to pay us off? And no, what they're going to do is they're just going to create $30 trillion in extra money and just give it to everybody. And then to realize, well, actually, no, that doesn't help me. Yeah, if, if just a select few held most of the debt and they were just going to get the new money, then maybe they're net winners on the whole thing. But the, the bigger the pool of people get who holds the treasury debt and we're all just getting paid dollars, it's kind of just going to be largely offset that our prices are going to rise. And so the fact that, yeah, I just got $10,000 that I was owed by this thing called the U.S. Treasury and then I turned to go spend it, but prices all went up because just about everybody got $10,000 too. So you can see that it's, again, the, the narrow point that, oh, the U.S. government never needs to default in nominal terms because it can just create more dollars. In the MMT world, that's doing a lot of work and from an Austrian perspective that all these alleged benefits that flow from that observation don't really follow at all. And this is a difference in, in terms of economics. Like their MMT accounting doesn't show that, you know, that it, that it's, it's as significant or as, as relevant as the MMTers claim. 
Right. Yeah. You, yeah. So you could the, the MMTers will say, well, you, you can just print the money. Of course, as Austrians would argue that, well, uh, inflation's a hidden tax, et cetera. So you're basically still taxing people. And then right. there's just the the interesting uh, argument that, well, you don't you don't need the taxes, but okay, because the government can just print the money. But then I thought that the money is valuable only because the government accepts it in taxes. And as I'm, I'm still sort of working. So it's like, okay, well, how, how does that make how does that make sense? Yeah, you still they still have taxes in some form. I think, I think, um, and and yeah, you could print the money, but uh, yeah, the money could be could be worth less. It, it's it's the same. It, the, 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 it's it's the the principle is the same though. The nuances are different. It's that the the government runs differently than a business, right? That's an old Mises point. Biz, you know, governments cannot play business, et cetera. So putting more and more of those savings into the government is actually kind of wasting those savings because the government, whether through printing money that people have to accept, you know, legal tender laws or for tax payments or raising taxes or, uh, you know, to, to pay for things, whatever, uh, that's different than consumers voluntarily spending money, people voluntarily donating uh, to charities, well, whatever. It's, it's that's the really the fundamental kind of economic principle that once you get past all the accounting, uh, the, the accounting magic, you 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 get to this point, which is wait a second, why is it why is it a good thing that U.S. you know that excuse me that people's savings are going into the government debt, right? It's just it's the same thing. It's and this is ultimately why it's the same kind of argument regarding Keynesians, at least some of the basic. Uh, mm-hmm. outlines it's 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 the same principles it's just dressed up and new language and mm-hmm. slightly different ways of doing things okay great so speaking of that let's now circle back to your paper and i, d- I definitely want to hit this so let's why don't we address this part right now just to make sure you have time to fully flesh this out um i understand that one of the main points of your paper is to say there is an important difference in the MMT approach um, in terms of how they would finance government deficits compared to like new Keynesians and it, and the, and the, those technical differences in the method actually from the perspective of Austrian theory has different impacts. So it's still going to make people poorer, but not through the institution of a typical boom bust cycle. Yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, so yeah, go ahead. Hey, so can you, uh, yeah, just can you unpack that? Yeah, sure. So the the traditional again, you think of like the mainstream economics. We we all learn it in a money and banking class, and I know the the logic's not the same as it used to be. At least money multiplier and stuff, but you know we still still teach it because it's important for people to understand, and it's still still the logic is still true. It's that well, okay. So if the if the Federal Reserve wants to expand the money supply, they basically they buy old debt. From uh, either from banks or from securities dealers, and then uh, the securities dealers they get a check from the Fed. They deposit that check into a bank. Then the bank can expand credit by making loans to businesses. The money supply goes up, spending goes up, uh, economic growth goes up. You know the argument, blah 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 blah. Uh, Austrians would say, well, that's going to lead to uh, an Austrian business cycle. Uh, the the new money is channeled into business loans. It's going to artificially lower the interest rate, blah, 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 blah. Nothing, nothing new there. And then, then there's also monetizing the debt. And, and so Murray Rothbard, for those of you who are interested in the more technical analysis, Murray Rothbard speaks about this or he writes about this in The Mystery of Banking. 
And Mises, Ludwig von Mises, writes about this uh, a bit more briefly in Human Action. And Mises calls this simple inflation, where the government is basically uh, selling its debt, its financing, its 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 debt uh, by basically newly created bank money. And Rothbard goes through this example of, okay, the Federal Reserve, if it wants banks to buy or if, uh, or if the government wants banks to buy uh, this amount of new debt, it tells the Fed buy this old debt from the banks to increase bank reserves. They engage in credit expansion, not to businesses, but to the government. And that's how the deficit is financed. There's no new – none of the new money is channeled into businesses uh, through the loanable funds market. There's no business cycle there. Instead, just government spending goes up, and Mises and Rothbard argue that that's an equivalent to just a general stagnation. Uh, you could argue that government spending is equivalent to consumption, and so that just leads to higher time preferences, or you could just go to the general argument that – well, they can't allocate resources as efficiently as governments, excuse me, not as governments, as businesses. And then this just leads to general stagnation, right? So this debt monetization does not lead to the Austrian business cycle. It just leads to this uh, sort of decline, uh, general decay, almost, uh, this is an exaggeration. I'm not, I'm not saying this is what modern monetary theorists advocate, but in a communist society, the USSR, you didn't really have booms and busts. You just sort of had busts, right? Just like a general mm -hmm. decay and a decline. And really, that's what debt monetization leads to, whereas the, uh, how the Federal Reserve at least traditionally bought debt from the, the, the secondary market, that leads to the business cycle. That is not directly financing government debt, though it can help them by lowering their interest payments. But so, yeah, in the, the, in the paper, I do talk about this and show how, well, the, the debt monetization that's argued by modern monetary theorists, as well as some older Keynesians, um, uh, would, would not lead to the Austrian business cycle. It would just lead to general stagnation. Okay, great. So from a big picture perspective, the, the two rival approaches are one is that yeah e either way the government has whatever trillion dollar deficit that they're going to finance they want to spend a trillion dollars more than they're taking in a tax revenue in a given period and so one way is if the um treasury technically borrows that money and then the fed is effectively creating new um reserves in order to sop up old debt and then it's it's creating money so it's all going through the private so people in the private sector are lending money to the government to then go to spend that trillion and so it's all flowing through the credit markets whereas a more like a simpler way again not this is even mechanically how it happens but just to think about what's going on is if the government just directly was cranking out hundred dollar bills and then use that to go pay for you know defense contractors and to send food stamps to people and whatever if it was just directly creating the money and not going through the credit markets. And so mm -hmm. it was like causing general price inflation, but in all the markets kind of simultaneously versus the standard way is that the new inflation, the new money goes first hits the credit markets. And so maybe one way to think about it is like it distorts those prices first before it starts rippling out through the economy. And that's why the interest rate gets whipsawed so much went that way versus if it was just a general inflation where they're just printing money and spending it on everything 
um, not channeling it first through the credit market that interest rates don't get necessarily as distorted as much compared to other prices. Is that maybe a, a useful way of distinguishing the two approaches? Yeah. So, so there is the, the, the way that you could just have the government print the money, right? The sort of the, the, the way of the American Revolutionary War or the Civil War. In the Civil War, we printed greenbacks that the government just spent. Right, they they were called greenbacks because they're green tint. That's where you get money. It's how you get the money, the color that we all know and love American currency from. Uh, and 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 then yeah, you could there really. And, and Rothbard goes through this, and it can get it can get kind of complicated. There are multiple ways then that it can be done through the banking sector. You could have this debt monetization where the government is uh, basically buying old debt from banks. Banks create new money and then they buy the new debt from the government, uh, you know, and, and that would then um, that would not lead to a business cycle, an Austrian business cycle, because the the new increase in the money supply basically goes uh, uh, directly to the government. It doesn't go into the business uh, sector. There there is no further increase in the money supply and, and, and so on. And and that's usually what most people mean by monetizing the debt. That's what Mises meant by simple inflation, et cetera. Then you could go into the additional scenario of let's just say the um, the, the Federal Reserve directly buys uh, securities from the the Treasury. Right. They just buy that new they, they buy that new debt. And we've only done that, at least the way it traditionally goes, is we've only done that very briefly in World War Two. Uh, and then that would just directly finance the government debt uh, deficit, excuse me. And then it would lead to a further increase in the money supply through the private sector as those that that money gets deposited in banks and all this stuff. And and Rothbard goes through the balance sheets and, and, and he shows this. And so there are the multiple it, it, it can get confusing, like the multiple ways in which this can happen. But the, the main way, at least how most people argue monetizing the debt, is when the uh, central bank buys old debt, that enables the, the uh, commercial banking system to then monetize the, the treasury's new debt. And that would not lead to an Austrian business cycle. It get kind of confusing, but it all hinges on, okay, how is money being created and where does that new money uh, ent- first enter the economy? Okay, so just I want to make sure in the few minutes we have left here, I don't want to leave people with the wrong impression. Someone might say, oh, so are you saying, Patrick, that as long as the government finance things a certain way and use deficit spending, perhaps in the spirit of MMT, as long as they made some mechanical changes to their operational procedures, then we would avoid the, the downside of government deficit spending and, and fiat money? Yeah, I would not want to argue that. So not because okay. that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so so don't don't want to argue that. Uh, it would only that we'd only avoid the one downside of an Austrian business cycle. Uh, but you would have what I argue in the papers an even worse downside because at least in a business cycle you get booms and busts, right? It's almost it, so you at least when you drink, right? You you get the feeling of you get the feeling of being drunk, right? Would you feel you, you feel good and then you get the hangover. Right, which is the bad. Imagine if you only had the hangover, right? And you're like, well, then this is terrible, right? And that's what I'd argue. It's almost so with the the, monet- the monetizing of the debt, 
or the, the, of the deficits, you're really only getting the hangover. You're not getting a boom. You're just getting general uh, economic stagnation uh, and so on. So you're, 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 you're technically not getting this business cycle, but you're getting something even worse, which is just a, a permanently stunted uh, capital structure. So again, it's the equivalent of it's, it's, it's only getting a hangover, which is just not fun. That's mm-hmm. who would deliberately inflict pain on themselves. Right. Okay, and that's why you were bringing up the, the communism analogy that, yes, yeah. and that was even a talking point that the old, the old, my understanding is the old Soviet Union officials used to say, is like, oh, look at the capitalists. They have, you know, people get thrown out of work, there's unemployment. We're here, we always have full employment. And there was a sense in which that's true, because, yeah, they, the planners could always tell you, go to these factories and show up here, or else you go to the gulag. But that still didn't mean you had a, a, high, a comparable standard of living compared to people who lived in a, in a capitalist society. Yeah, exactly. So, and, 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 and Mises brings this up by saying, yeah, well, you, you, <laughs> uh, you, it, it, it's two different things. The, the capital society, at least you're getting that growth under communism. Yeah, you're not getting that growth and having the government. And again, not arguing modern monetary theories for communists. That's so it's a, it's a, it's a, just, just as sort of a, uh, an, an, an analogy, but the debt, just having those the government debt uh, deficits be monetized uh, will lead to sort of a, a very watered down case like that. But it's still just the bad effects. It's still just the hangover, so to speak. Okay, well, that's a good point to end on. Uh, my guest this week has been Patrick Newman. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and join us next week for another scintillating episode. Check back next week for a new episode of the Human Action Podcast. In the meantime, you can find more content like this on Mises.org.